I have the, the great privilege of opening up our Christmas series called Son of Heaven. Um, if you're taking notes this morning, I'd like you to write down the God-man. The God-man. Now, I absolutely love Christmas. You know, uh, Thanksgiving for me, if I, can I just be quite honest? Like, if it was up to me, I would be putting up all of my Christmas decor on November 1. I'm sorry if that offends you. I just don't care. I, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I view, I view, I view, I view Thanksgiving as like the Christmas pre-party. Like it's like a one-off day in the middle of me celebrating Christmas. My, you know, my wife and I have like probably 25 or 30 Christmas movies that we watch every year. I can, I can, you know, I can almost recite all of them word for word because I've been, you know, probably watching them, a lot of them anyway, since I was like a little kid. Uh, my favorite holiday movie, you didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, my favorite holiday movie is Holiday Inn. The old black and white Holiday Inn. Woo. Bing Crosby, let's go. But I absolutely love Christmas. You know, everything from the movies to the music to the presents to the, declara- uh, to, the, to the decorations to Michael Buble just showing up out of nowhere. It's like the guy hibernates for 11 months. And then, like, he comes out of hibernation and becomes the king of Christmas. Like, I, don't, I don't listen to big band or swing music at all until the Christmas season. And then it's all I listen to. It's by far my favorite time of the year. But you know what's really funny is like, like the kind of decor that you put up at Christmas, or that, that well, maybe, maybe not you, but the kind of stuff that we put up at Christmas would not be caught, I wouldn't be caught dead having that in my house at any other time in the year. Like I'm just really not, like by and large, I'm not a silver or gold or like glitter guy. You know the worst, the only bad part about Christmas? Glitter. I mean, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but it seems like every Christmas card that I get comes preloaded with a year's worth of glitter. In fact, the only bad part about Christmas is that when it ends, there's like glitter for the next two or three months. Just everywhere. In the carpet, on your clothes. Oh, it's the worst. But at at the same time, it seems that everywhere you go, there's a certain sense of wonder. There's a certain sense that something that anything can happen. Can I tell you, it's not because of the presence, it's not because of the decorations, it's not because of the movies that we feel this way. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't feel like, see, on my birthday, I expect presents, like for the most part, right? Like you kind of have this expectation growing up that you're going to get presents. You know what I don't expect? Miracles to happen. I don't necessarily think to myself that on my 38th birthday in February that there's going to be a miracle that happens. Why? Because the person that we're celebrating is normal. I'm a normal guy. But the thing about Christmas and the reason why there is an expectation, whether you believe in Jesus or not, there's something in the back of your mind that says, this is the season where anything can happen. This is the season where everything could change. The truth is, even if you don't celebrate Christmas, you're celebrating, Christ- you're celebrating Jesus. Amen. Flip that, reverse it. Even if you don't celebrate Jesus, you got where I was going with that. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Can I tell you the real story of St. Nicholas real quick? St. Nicholas 
was a third century bishop. At the Council of, a council of Nicaea at 325, which was where the Bible was canonized and where the creeds were created, that effectively, if you've ever wondered what the purpose of a creed is, it's to be able to concisely say what Christians believe without having to spend 15 hours like doctrinalizing. That's, that's the purpose of a creed. I think that every single Christian should know the Nicene Creed. But it's at this particular debate where they had invited all sorts of uh, church leaders from all over the world to come together and decide, decide what Christians believe. What is the difference between Christian and unchristian? Because how many of you realize there are people that believe in Jesus, but they're not Christian? Like there are certain beliefs that you have to have as a Christian. There are certain things that have to be there or else the Jesus that you believe is not Jesus. Or maybe I should say it this way. The Jesus that you believe in is not a Jesus who can save. So at 325 at the Council of Nicaea, St. Nicholas was sitting at a table and listening to a man named Arius. And Arius was theorizing and boldly proclaiming that Jesus, though he was the Son of God, is not equal to the Father in divinity and not equal to the Father in Godhead. In essence, what he was saying was that God the Father is here, Jesus is here. St. Nicholas was so incensed by the heresy that he was hearing that he got up out of his seat, walked across the room, and slapped him in the mouth. <laughs> See, the true meaning of Christmas is slapping heretics. Just kidding, kidding. Jokes. Take it easy. (laughs) Now, the rest of the bishops were so shocked that a man of God would resort to violence that they actually jailed him. They threw him in jail. They tried to figure, they, they didn't know what to do with him, so they put him in jail for the rest of the council. For the rest of the time that they were, that they were talking. And finally, it's, it's, it's reported that Nicholas had a, had a dream. He was, so, he was ashamed of himself for what he did, but at the same time, he knew what he believed. It's reported that he had a dream, and it was a dream of Jesus, and Jesus walked up to him and said, Son, why are you in jail? And he answered, For my love of you. It's ironic. That the very person who has become the figurehead for Christmas for many people is actually most famous for his ardent defense of the supremacy of Christ. That's what St. Nicholas is most famous for. Is that he loved Jesus so much that he could not stand to hear him belittled. Today we're going to be talking about the the hypostatic union. I know that that's probably not like some of you just like fell asleep. Wake back up, okay? We're going to be talking about the union between the natures of Christ. And the reason we're doing this is because I need you to understand we're living in an age that is, con- is increasingly confused about the person of Jesus because we've not been taught about the person of Jesus. You see, if I don't teach you, I leave you to your own conclusions, This goes for parents and sex, by the way. If you don't teach your kids about sex, something else will. We wonder why our kids are so weirdly informed, and it's because we haven't taught them. We've let the world teach them. Listen to this. This is Colossians 1, 15 to 20. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by, listen to this, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Have been created through him and for him. And by him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased, listen to this, to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I'm going to take you to another passage of scripture. We're going to go to Luke chapter 2, very obviously very well known, but it says this, on verses 4 to 7, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. What a contrast these two passages create. Like one of them is talking, I mean, obviously, everybody in the room is, is, is well aware that Paul is an incredible author, right? Like he's, in, he's an insane wordsmith. But see, what happens in Colossians chapter 1 is Paul is describing who Jesus is. In Luke chapter 2, and it's a broad and sweeping statement about the glory and the majesty that is within Christ. And then in Luke chapter 2, it's just very simply stated, he was born. He was born like a normal person, just like you, just like me. But sometimes we have, a difficult, we have difficulty wrapping our minds around the reality that Jesus was always God. And what we try to do is we try to visualize the invisible. You know what one of the hardest things to do when we're trying to think about Jesus as both being fully God and fully man? How did a God as vast as God get poured into the thimble that is man? How do you take the universe and put it into a small cup? Imagine trying to fit any more juice into that little communion cup than you already have in there. It's hard to imagine that a God as big, a God as powerful, a God as vast, a God as glorious could be poured into a flesh suit. Can I tell you that most heresies begin with logic and reason? See, what we try to do is we try, we try to apply logic. We try to apply logic so that our brains can functionally understand how God does what he does, how he, how he, how he is who he is, and then we tend, up, we, we, we tend to create a doctrine that we can understand that doesn't look anything like the God of the Bible. If you're trying to use logic and reason in order to understand God, you have misunderstood the role of faith in your life. Can I tell you that the most basic attribute of God you cannot fathom? Yeah. 
I mean, we've done this exercise in here enough to where I won't do it again. But if I were to, I mean, ultimately, if we were to think of the, of the reality that God had no beginning and no end, we can understand that intellectually, but not really. Because I can, I can say that, but I have no idea what that means. Because my practical example is that I was born and I will die. And every person that I know was born and will die. And yet, the idea that something could have no beginning, that it existed before time existed, is extremely hard for me to even try to wrap my mind around. But the point is, that is the most basic part of the nature of God. And so the idea that God could come down as a man makes almost no sense to us. And so what we try to do is we try to say things that make sense to us, like Arius did, where he said, well, actually, Jesus became God later. When he fulfilled his mission, he then was given the reward of becoming God. Or he emptied himself entirely of his divinity and was just a man. No, friend, I've got to tell you what the Bible says about Jesus is that he was always God and he always will be. We try to normalize the supernatural to make it make sense to us. Here's the big idea. We forget that sometimes what we view as mundane can actually be a miracle. I want you to understand that Jesus was born and he was God at the same moment. Do you understand that when Jesus came out in a normal, totally normal fashion, that even as a baby, he was both fully God and fully man? There wasn't a point in time in which his Godhead was stripped from him. There wasn't a point in time in which he ceased to have the faculties of God. It was just that his human side was catching up. Two things are happening simultaneously in these texts. God, with all his vast power, knowledge, glory, divinity, beauty, and strength, is being born. And he's being born in a normal way to a normal woman in a normal place in the middle of nowhere. Listen, when we read scripture, we have to remind ourselves that all these incredible events happen to people just as they would with you. Because sometimes what we do is we try to read into the text to try to, fe- to try to understand what it would feel like to be there, to be in that moment. And we hypersen- we, uh, in some ways, we hypersensitize everything to where it makes what we're living feel like God's not doing anything. Like, oh man, the Bible says there's this happening and there's that happening. Can I tell you that when Jesus was born, the angels weren't rejoicing in the same room that Mary was in. They were rejoicing somewhere else. She didn't hear the trumpet. She didn't hear the loud proclamations. She just experienced the pain of childbirth, and she heard the cry of her baby boy. Can I tell somebody that even in your mundane, God is working? That even in the midst of your waiting, God is doing things? Even in the normal things that you take for granted, God is working. There's not, come on, like, guys, I've been a believer since I was probably like five years old. I've never seen an angel. And like, I hear like people tell me about like encounters they've had with these like crazy supernatural things. And I'm like, that's incredible. Like, I would love to have an encounter with an angel. But the thing is, the thing is I don't need one. 
because I know God's moving. Because the evidence of his moving in my life is very clear. What he's been doing in my life, he's been doing all along. And sometimes the greatest miracles came from the most normal things. See, when Daniel travailed in prayer for 21 days, he didn't experience what was happening in the heavens. Like, you're aware of this, right? Like, Daniel wasn't even, he didn't know what was happening until he was told at the very end of this. He just knew that God wasn't answering. He just knew that God wasn't answering. Listen, I got to tell somebody in the room. Sometimes when we're waiting on breakthrough, we're waiting on healing, we're waiting on, we're waiting on an answer, I need you to know that God is not being slow, he's being smart. God isn't being slow, he's being smart. See, do you want to know what one of the most important factors, like it's, it's kind of easy now, like on this side of history, it's easy now to see why Jesus came when he came. But can I tell you that one of the most important factors of Jesus coming and his life, uh, despite the fact that he lived in literally the middle of nowhere, like his life touching the entire world. You want to know what it was? Roads. Roads. Something as mundane as roads is part of the reason why God chose that moment in history for Jesus Christ to come down. See, what Romans did, if, you, if, if you're not aware of history, what, what the Romans would do is that when they would conquer a territory, the first thing they would do is they would build really, really good roads. Like for as barbaric and cruel as the Roman Empire was, at very minimum, they were really, really good at architecture. And they would build these roads, they would make them, would make them wide enough for two to three carts side by side to go down the road at the same time. And the purpose of this was so that they could move their armies faster. So that if, if any territory were to rise up or to rebel, they could have a large military force there in a very small amount of time. Can I tell you? The roads that the Romans, the Romans used for soldiers, God used for his own soldiers to conquer Rome. See, that very same road system was used by Paul. It was used by Silas. It was used by the early church to conquer the soul of Rome. Within 200 years of the, of the birth and life of Jesus, the majority of the Roman Empire called him Lord. See, the Jewish people, what they were looking for was a Messiah that would crush Rome. Eventually, they got it. But I imagine for them, his coming was a little, little bit late. So the problem is, we, we have such an easy time questioning the timing of God. We wonder why it's not happening. Why isn't it coming faster? Lord, I've been praying for years. God, I've been praying for this for... God, don't you see how close this is to ending? Friend, I gotta tell you, God isn't being slow. He's being smart. Because everything that God does, everything that God does is designed with maximum impact. Maximum impact. Maximum impact. See, if he would have, if he would have seeded Jesus into the earth 500 years before, it's very, very likely that no one would have ever heard his name. But because of the point in history that he was actually placed in, a guy who only lived for 33 years in a backwater town, in the most backwater place on the face of the earth, everyone knows his name. 
I want to just give a couple of thoughts on the nature of Jesus. The first one is Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully God. Listen to this. This is John 8, 51 to 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, and yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. Okay, can I stop and just for a moment remind you that Jesus was not a nice guy. Sometimes we have this historical picture of Jesus that paints him as just like this, uh, like, you know, this, like, this hippie, long-haired guy wearing sandals, and he's, he's throwing out like these zen-like sayings here and there, and he's just nice to everybody. There is a difference between being filled with grace and being nice. I mean, I'm sorry, if, if a guy came up to you and said, you don't know God, I do, you, wouldn't, you would probably think to yourself, well, that wasn't very nice. If I were to say, and he goes on, this is great. And if I were to say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I, <laughs> but I do know him and I keep his word. Listen to this. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Think on that. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. See, often, when we read the Old Testament, we see just the Father in every story. We think of the idea somehow that, it's like we know intellectually, because somebody told us is that Jesus has always been God. But in our mind, what we see in the Old Testament is, oh, well, that's all, that's all God the Father. Like, so when Abraham was called a friend of God, that means God the Father. Or when Moses, when, when God said that I talk to Moses like I talk to my friend face to face, that what that really means is God the Father. No, actually, it's always been Jesus. I need you to understand something about the nature of the Trinity. Something that's, that's very difficult to understand for anyone, okay, is the idea of having one God with three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Because some of the, some of the, the time we have a hard time, we have a hard time understanding how they operate in context together. Can I give you a poor analogy that might help you? Maybe. This might help you. Or you might call me a heretic after, okay? That's fine. It's okay. You are created in the image of God. That doesn't mean that you look like God in your face. What it means is that you are created of similar essence, which means that you are a threefold person. You have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit, as does God. Now, I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine for the moment that when I am thinking, I am strategizing, when I'm planning, I am reflecting the work of the Father. When I'm speaking, when I'm talking, when I'm commanding, I'm reflecting the work of the Son. When I'm moving, when I'm working, and when I'm doing, I'm reflecting the work of the Spirit. 
All of these things flow in context with themselves. So when you read in the Old Testament, God said, or God had relationship, or God spoke, what you're actually seeing is Jesus said. Jesus spoke. What Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is he's saying, my friend Abraham finally got to see the face of his friend. My friend Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration finally got to see the day that he'd been waiting for when the voice that guided him became the person that he was waiting for. Listen, there are a lot of people out there that will try to tell you that Jesus was not God and didn't say he was God. Friend, I got to tell you, there's not a single person in Israel who would have said, before Abraham was, I'm Yahweh. Not a single person. Listen, I got to tell somebody in the room, Jesus was not a great teacher. He was not a miracle worker. He wasn't a philosopher. He's either Lord, lunatic, or liar. And every person that hears the name of Jesus has to make one of those conclusions about him. Because if he is God, like he said, it should change everything about your life. But if he's not, why follow somebody who says they're God but isn't? Jesus has always been God. Hebrews 1 tells us that everything is held together by the word of his power. That the whole world is held together by a command of his voice. The very breath that man uses to bless him is a gift. And that same breath that is used to curse him is also a gift. I kind of wonder, you know, obviously there's a really popular Christmas song that... I'm, I, I probably, I think I get a, a request to sing this song on Christmas more than any other song, and it's Mary, Did You Know? Um, as, a, as an aside, my least favorite Christmas song is, interestingly enough, because I play drums, you would imagine it's Little Drummer Boy. It's not. It, it, little Drummer Boy is terrible. There is no good version of the Little Drummer Boy. See, every year somebody tries to change my mind and they send me like the new, you know, oh, you got to listen to this one. There's just no good version of this. I mean, come on. It's a story of a kid. It's a story. Can I just rant for a second? The little drummer boy is a story of a kid who, who, who sees a young woman who just gave birth to a child and says to himself, you know what she needs? Drum solo. Doesn't need rest. She needs a drum solo. But I really do wonder, I want, you to, I want you to understand, Mary and Joseph were the only, like, aside from the shepherds, Mary and Joseph were the only followers of Jesus that started out with a revelation of his nature. Like everybody else had to come to faith in it. They had to come to believe in it. He didn't really come out and say it until like 
a ways into, you know, his ministry. But I wonder, you know, Mary, by angelic declaration, was told that she would bear the Son of God. And it, I just sometimes I wonder, as she's holding this child, how did it feel to know that she was not just holding a baby, but the high and holy one of Israel? El Elyon, the most high God. The all-sufficient one. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer. Jesus has always been God. Number two, Jesus is fully man. I didn't say was, I say is. Fully man. I need you to listen to this. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from, uh, from you into heaven, listen, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Will come as the same way. This means two things. The first one is that he's going to come down just as he went up. The second thing, and something that we probably don't think about enough, is the same manner, which means the same body you saw him go up in is the same one he's coming down in. I need you to understand that the hypostatic union, the the, the marriage between the, the, the almighty God and man is an eternal one. Jesus is ruling and reigning right now from heaven as man, as the God man. Here's why this is really, really important and I need you to grab hold of this. It's because we have somebody who gets it. He gets it. He understands what it's like to be human. He understands what it's like to live here. He understands what it's like to feel weak. He understands what it's like to not have power. Can I tell you, I mean, I want you to understand how precious it is to know that the one sitting on the throne looks like you. Listen to this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet is without sin. Now, don't get it twisted. Obviously, Jesus did way better than any of us ever could do. But the point is, is that the advocate that we have has experienced firsthand the world that we live in. He understands our frailty, our powerlessness, and our fears. He understands our temptations, our weakness, and our blindness. He understands our failures, our faithlessness, and our foolishness. And listen to this. This is, I'm sorry, I'm going through a ton of scripture today, but I need you to hear this. This is Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. It says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies, 
And those who are sanctified all have one source. Listen to this. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. And in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. He understands. What's more, he's not ashamed of us. Friend, can can I ask you to do something really brave this morning? If Jesus is not ashamed of you, stop being ashamed of yourself. I just, I feel it. I feel it in the room this morning. I feel like the Lord has put his finger on this. There are some people here that have been blood bought that are pretending that God is still mad at you. The Lord is not mad at you. He is not ashamed to call you brother. He's not ashamed to call you sister. He's not ashamed of us. He wants us. Come on, I, I need you to hear this. You are wanted. 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 The one who made you wants you. The one who formed you wants you. You are wanted. You are wanted. You know what I love about Christmas? I'm sorry for this morning. I'm just, I'm I'm feeling the Lord in in some kind of way. But one of the things I love about Christmas is that it's a time where we stop from all of our previously scheduled activities. And we remember the day the revolution began. We remember the day that everything began to change. We remember the day that everything started to get better. We remember the day that God changed the course of human history. We remember it. It didn't happen in a palace, even though there was never born a mightier king. It didn't happen in an influential nation, even though there was never born a child who would so greatly shape history. And it didn't happen in a rich family, even though there was never born a wealthier heir. It happened in the middle of nowhere to the daughter of a nobody in a place that didn't even have a bed. You know, that's not how normally like history shaping moments start. They don't start out of nowhere and nothing. You want to know why I believe, I should say one of the reasons why I absolutely believe that Jesus is the son of God, because this doesn't happen. This doesn't happen unless God is in it. This doesn't happen unless Jesus is exactly who he said he was. Guys, can I tell you what we have here is an absolute miracle. I don't mean just like how awesome I think this church is. I mean, the simple fact The simple fact that Christianity exists in any form is an absolute miracle. And the only way that it could be, that it could happen, the way that it has happened is if God's hand was in it. A manger was where the son of heaven, Emmanuel, God with us, was appointed to be born so that in the coming centuries, no one could say, well, of course, his life would mean something. Look who he was born to. And also, so that in coming, in coming centuries, 
no one would have an excuse to not shake the earth by saying, but God, I'm from nowhere. Can I tell you something? Your geography does not limit your impact. Your family, your reputation, your background, your past does not dictate or limit what God can do through you. Listen, I got to tell somebody in the room this morning that if you believe that you are the least likely person to be used by God, you are actually probably the most likely person to be used by God. Because when he does what he does through you, nobody will be able to say, well, of course, that guy was a powerhouse to begin with. God's not looking for the tallest, the strongest. He's not looking for the handsomest or the prettiest. He's not looking for the things that you think that he's looking for. He's looking for obedience. He's looking for a yes. You know, I go back to this message I preached preached a couple of weeks ago. But it it, it hit me so hard that that I, I just feel like I had to say it again. What's in your hands, coupled with obedience, has tremendous power. What's in your hands, coupled with obedience, has tremendous power. If God gave it to you, it's enough. If he said, go, go. Quit waiting on something you don't need. Oh, dude, somebody needs to hear that. Quit waiting on something you don't need. Quit waiting on something you don't need. Jesus didn't need to be born in a palace. He didn't need to be born to a ruling family. He didn't need even to be born in a major city. Quit waiting for something you don't need. God said it, he'll do it. Jesus was fully man to show us what's possible when you believe God. So I need you to understand. Jesus himself even said, I don't do what I do under my own authority. I don't do what I'm doing under my own authority, my own power. Jesus showed us what's possible in life when God gives you a command and you actually go with it. You actually run with it. Listen, I'm not saying you're going to walk on water because you're not. Can I tell you why you're not, by the way? I don't know why it is that people think like, oh man, if Jesus walked on water, I need to walk on water. You don't need to walk on water. There's literally no functional time where you should think to yourself, you know what? I need to walk on water. But what I can tell you is the same thing Jesus told his apostles. These things and greater you'll do. These things and greater. Not because you have innate power or innate authority in and of yourself, but because when God gives you his Holy Spirit, you've got all the power that you need. Friend, I want to tell somebody this morning that it's true. All of it. He came for you. He died for you. He rose for you. And he's here right now. See, sometimes we have this... It can be easy sometimes to think about God as being in some far off place. Can I tell you, there's a, there's a truth in, in the book of Psalms and, and David writes this, he says, where can I run from your presence, O God? If I, if I ascend into the heavens, you're there with me. 
if I make my bed in hell, and come on, somebody's made their bed in hell this morning. You're kind of living there right now. But if I make my bed in hell, there you are with me. Can I tell you that that's not an impersonal uh, description of omnipresence, which means everywhere at once? It actually is a very personal reminder that if God is chasing you, there is nowhere you can run from him. You know, when my kids were a lot younger, now they're way faster than me. But when my kids were younger and we would play, there was literally nowhere they could run from me because I was way faster than they were. Can I tell you? God is chasing you and you will not be able to get away. Please just stop running. Quit wasting your life. Quit wasting your time. Quit making your bed in hell. He came for you. He died for you. He rose for you. And he's here right now. Can we pray this morning? I got one question to ask. I got one question to ask. Do you want to know Jesus? Listen, this is a really, really great time to say yes to the Lord. Like, yesterday was a better time, but today now is the best time. Today is a really, really good time to say yes to the Lord. If you're here this morning, as we're, as we're, as we're, rem- we're remembering the Advent, the day it all began, as we're remembering that God came as a man to live perfectly on our behalf, to become a sacrifice that we could never make for ourselves so that we could be restored and adopted as sons in the kingdom. As we're remembering that day, there is no better time than right now to say, Jesus, I want you. If that's you this morning, if that's you this morning, maybe, maybe you're somebody who is who has never stepped foot in a church. Maybe you're somebody that got dragged here by your girlfriend. Maybe you're some here, someone that got dragged here by your, by your aunt or dragged here by your grandpa or dragged here by your dad or whoever. Look, my friend, I gotta tell you, it doesn't matter how you got here. It matters that you are here. It matters that you are here for this moment. If today's your day, maybe you've said yes to Jesus and you've walked away a hundred times. Today is another day to come back to him. So if this is your first time saying yes to Jesus, or maybe this is your hundredth time saying yes to Jesus, but you know that you need him in your life. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Is there anybody in the room this morning? Thank you, sir. Is there anybody else in the room this morning? Thank you. Is there anybody else in the room this morning? Thank you, Lord. Can we all pray a prayer together? Listen, these, these aren't magic words, okay? Like, you, you don't say this and then, you know, and then everything just magically, you know, like shifts and all this. It's really just a, a, a short creed of the declaration that you're making that I want Jesus in my life. So why don't you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I repent of my sins. And I ask that you become Lord of my life. Come in and live with me and make me new. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.